Otter Tunnel. Otter Tunnel. Otter Tunnel. It's Friday, June 23rd, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Paul Peters, master student in civil engineering and victim of post-traumatic studying disorder, and with me today is Molly Quell, contributing editor at Dutch News and 3D puzzle enthusiast. The third member of our panel, Gordon Derrick, isn't with us today, officially because he's a victim of the teacher strike, but he's secretly digging holes at the beach in Scheveningen. So, Molly, do you miss Gordon? I miss Gordon. Yeah. I think it's much better when Gordon is here. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Gordon is a victim of the uh, teacher strike. Yeah, they're only uh, striking for an hour this morning, I think. But that is, of course, the hour during which we are recording. And he has two uh, two children who I guess are going to be not in school as a result of this. So, he's unable to join us today. So, he's choosing his children above this podcast. Yes, perhaps. How do we feel about that? I think we need to make him sign a loyalty pledge. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> this week, we'll update you again on the saga that is the Dutch government formation process, and we'll talk about how everyone melted this week because of the heatwave. And also we'll be discussing the new pledge of loyalty for immigrants. Our top story this week is the major breakthrough in the ongoing and never-ending story that is the forming of a new government in this country. Last week, Labour Party leader Lodewijk Ascher was coming under increasing pressure to join the coalition negotiations after GroenLinks leader Jesse Klaver formally stepped out. However, Ascher stated on Wednesday that his party will only be available, quote, in a state of national emergency. The chair of the negotiations, Herman Schenk-Willink, took that as a definitive no, leaving the Christian Union Party as the only option. This party has been ruled out by D66 earlier after a failed negotiation attempt, but its leader, Alexander Pechtold, stated on Wednesday that he wanted to look seriously at this possibility. Gert-Jan Segers accepted this olive branch, and negotiations will formally start today on Friday. Does the heatwave this week qualify as a national emergency? <laughs> uh, for, well, for Usher it, it, it isn't, but I think for the rest of the country, the of the country, uh, country it definitely it is. is, yeah. yeah. Because it was warm. I uh, I heard that Pechtold and Segers had a date night, and that's uh, that's how they managed to uh, to come to an agreement uh, to to start having conversations with each other. So how did they spend their evening? Paul? Yeah, as a matter of fact, they did. They arranged this date using this new uh, dating app called uh, Chinker. <laughs> That being a reference to your uh, comment last week. That, uh, <laughs> <laughs> which we all find very which funny. Which we all find very funny. Very yeah. funny. Indeed, Alexander Pechtold uh, offered this olive branch to uh, Gert-Jan Segers of the Christian Union Party. And they decided to um, if, well, have some formal, uh, informal uh, discussions over a uh, meal in an Indonesian restaurant in The Hague. Yeah, the front page of the Volkskrat had this great photo of all of the photographers taking pictures of them at the table. Yeah, it was a fun anecdote because... Uh, uh, Gert-Jan Segers, as he was leaving his uh, office in the parliament building, it's only a block away where the restaurant was, and as he was walking uh, to the restaurant, he saw all these uh, journalists following him, and he thought, well, I thought this was a secret that mm-hmm. we're going to have dinner, and when he arrived there in the restaurant, uh, he sat down in a table, and this table was surrounded by all these photographers and journalists, so uh, Alexander Pechtold uh, leaked this little bit of information to the press. Whoops. So, the Christian Uni presents its own sort of set of problems in the coalition. Um, they disagree strongly Strongly with the Decesasestig on matters of euthanasia, but they also disagree with Zedaya and Vevidea on the issues of refugees and climate change. So, how are they going to find common ground? 
we don't know. Yeah. It's going to be a, a tough negotiation uh, process, I think. As you say, there are a lot of differences, not only between two sets of pa- of parties, but, you know, they are they all disagree with each other on basically everything. Yeah. And, uh, well, especially the medical ethical issues will be a big problem because that's where, you know, the initial talks uh, failed previously. The initial talks with the Christian Union. Yeah, and yeah. Um, when D66 leader Pechtold and uh, Gertjan Seegers of the Christian Union had a one-on-one meeting officially to you know start talking and find some common grounds but instead Alexander Pechtold brought this list of uh, progressive demands including uh, uh, some uh, life-ending proposals which uh, the Christian Union couldn't possibly agree with so these talks failed well at the very first minute that he walked in because it it wasn't a negotiation it was more a list of demands of Alexander Pechtold but now they decided to do it again and uh, well we're going to have to wait and see how this will uh, end. Yeah the NRC has this nice uh, graph that sort of puts together where all of the different parties stand on things and uh, yeah sort of climate change and the environment there's a big uh, gap in between and kind of this medical ethics discussion so we'll include the the graphic when we upload the feature but um, yeah it's it's going to be an interesting uh, conversation I think to maybe find some common ground here I'm, I'm very curious to see how they are able to do that yes and I expect to uh, I expect that the four parties will uh, again have absolute radio silence so we won't be hearing anything of them until the uh, negotiations fail or they uh, well succeed and now they're aiming to uh, have a government by Prinzestag. So we're all. Oh, that's wait the and... new aim. Yeah, that oh. was the new aim. But that was that was what Pechtold said uh, said yesterday. And Prinzestag is the uh, is the day in September when uh, the new budget for the next year is presented uh, by the government. So uh, um, well, hopefully there is a new government. Uh, otherwise, they have to do with the uh, deal with the old budget of the old government. Yeah, I hope that they're not. Uh pulling an all-nighter so they managed to uh, negotiate a coalition the day before and then everyone has to stay up all night to write a budget for maybe the day we afterwards. should open up the TU Delft library to uh, 2 a.m. for them uh, yeah I think so <laughs> All the foreigners in the Netherlands appreciated the weather this week, not because it was finally warm and sunny, but because we like to hear the Dutch complain about how hot it was instead of how rainy it is. The Dutch Meteorological Institute's KNMI was busy issuing all sorts of color-related warnings. It wasn't all fun and games, though. Seven of the 12 Dutch provinces issued their hot weather alerts with raised concern for the elderly and those with health problems. Fire alerts were raised in Brabant and Zeeland, where conditions were such that officials were concerned about fires that could start and spread rapidly. In fact, on Thursday evening, evening, several underground fires occurred in the peat in Brabant and Terschelling. In Maastricht and other southern cities, schools and even civil servants were sent home early after temperatures soared to dangerous levels. The city of Groningen took the opposite approach and allowed bars to stay open an hour longer so residents could exacerbate their heat-related ailments by drinking more alcohol. By Thursday evening, however, the skies opened up over most of the country and thunderstorms cooled temperatures considerably. So Molly, how did you survive this week? Uh, Did you have your own personal heat plan? I did. It was called being cranky and miserable and snapping and irritable at everything. That sounds like your usual self. (laughs) Pretty much. Actually, I was was quite lucky. I was supposed to have to spend yesterday in uh, in Harlem and then I had sort of a reschedule of of things and I ended up working from home. But my house is actually quite cool and there was a nice breeze. So I was actually sort of enjoying the weather yesterday and everyone else was kind of melting. Yeah, you were very comfortable. Did, did, you, uh, did you did you see the storm? I did see the storm. I was uh, I was here watching the, uh, the rain pull in. It was very exciting because I didn't have to water the plants last night. So <laughs> I appreciated the rain. 
<laughs> yeah, well, I was in the library for the past week, and it's uh, well, you know that you know that building it's an underground bunker, basically a concrete bunker. So I I didn't find a I, I didn't have a seat next to a window, so I had literally no idea how the weather was outside. And uh, yesterday, apparently there was a storm, but I completely missed it. Wow, that's a that was an intense storm as well. Too. Yeah, I completely missed it. So yeah, well, that's you can add that to the long things that you've completely missed in colombia a dutch television crew has been kidnapped on saturday by the guerrilla group eln presenter Dag bolt and cameraman eugenio follander were trying to locate the biological parents of a man adopted by a dutch couple when they disappeared last week in northern colombia Foreign Minister Bert Koenders refused to comment on reports that the pair were about to be released, but according to sources, the Catholic Church is mediating between the Colombian government and the rebels. So, they were in Colombia for a television show, and what is this this TV show? Uh, this show is called Sporlos, it's, uh, that's traceless in, uh, in English, um, in which they try to reconnect family members that lost contact with each other for some reason, but they also try to find biological parents of adopted children. That was what they were doing right now in Colombia. Bolton Follander had been to Colombia many times before, but this time they went uh, deep into the jungle and into Ireland territory, and that's where they were kidnapped, officially, according to the Guerrilla Movement's uh, Twitter account, for their own safety. They were kidnapped for their own safety. Yes. That's a, that's a solid argument, I think. So there's rumors that they're going to be released, though, right? Yes, and uh, these rumors became stronger and stronger, and during the week the Colombian press reported that their release was very close. However, the Colombian authorities and the Dutch foreign ministers, well, refused to comment on the situation for obvious reasons. But on Thursday afternoon, the Colombian governor of the region where they were kidnapped said that release was a matter of hours. Uh, but as we are recording this on Friday morning, they haven't been released yet, so it's unclear when, where, and if, for that matter, uh, they will become free. Well, we uh, we hope that they are all released and, and, and all okay. Yes, indeed. And uh, the, the king is now on a state visit to Italy, and he also visited the Pope. And the Catholic Church have a very strong influence in Colombia and with these rebels too, because they claim to be Roman Catholic. Um, and as the Roman Catholic Church uh, is mediating in their release, uh, it's not in- unimaginable that the king... Uh, uh, ask the Pope to uh, to intervene. Yeah, well, I hope that he uh, he can uh, do what he can so that they are released uh, uh, shortly. In what has to be the weirdest case of confusion, an 18-year-old was arrested in Utrecht this week on suspicion of spreading terrorist materials, but the teenager claims he was just really into online gaming. The charge stems from images the unnamed suspect spread in online forums, which included the flag of Daesh, also known as the Islamic State. According to his lawyer, the images in question were apparently taken from a variety of online video games and were not intended as terrorist propaganda. So he was arrested because he was sharing online flags of uh, the Islamic State. Yes, which makes about as much sense as kidnapping someone for their own safety. (laughs) Yeah, indeed. But uh, yeah, definitely you should be uh, careful writing or doing these kind of stuff on the internet because, you know, uh, the uh, intelligence community is always looking uh, and uh, watching for these kind of things. Yeah, I think an excellent uh, life advice would be to not Photoshop the ISIS flag onto images and share them online. According to broadcaster NOS, 1,100 people filed a police report last year for being scammed by phone callers claiming to work for the Microsoft help desk. This year, this number is already 800. 
Victims are called by an English-speaking man or woman who claims to work for Microsoft to tell them there is a problem with their computer. The only way to solve this problem is to transfer money or send credit card information to the caller. In some cases, the caller asks to install software that can take over the computer or steal internet banking information. The police suspect that a number of gangs are active and uh, this way several hundreds of thousands of euros are stolen. And one victim even got robbed of 70,000 euros. So why did you transfer uh, uh, some random person 70,000 euros, Paul? I thought it was a Nigerian prince. Oh, um, that makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. But uh, I'm kind of surprised that this uh, only becomes a thing now because my parents are, are, are getting called for years now by people who claim to work for Microsoft. Yeah, well, I think it's the the sort of increase, right, that, that has made this um, quite dangerous. But in, even in my office, like last week, they, they got some, some calls and the sort of ICT people came in to do a presentation that was basically like, if a random person calls you, don't transfer them any money. <laughs> <laughs> you think that's a basic knowledge, right? Uh, yeah, so this and uh, don't share uh, ISIS flags <laughs> online. Those are our two takeaways from today's podcast. And drink enough water. And drink plenty of water. <laughs> In what is obviously the best news story of the week, the Netherlands is going to build otter tunnels. Yes, you heard that correctly. The country, which has had seemingly endless delays in attempting to dig a metro tunnel for actual people in Amsterdam, is installing not one, not two, but three tunnels to cross the N463. The tunnels will allow mating otters to safely cross the highway. They have long been proposed, but the price tag of 300,000 euros has previously proved to be too much. Well, that's because uh, The Hague has a bit of a bad uh, experience with this. Yes. Uh, because uh, a few years ago, the city of The Hague built a bridge for squirrels. And this bridge cost, um, well, millions of euros, I believe. In, from, from the top of my head, it was like 3 million euros. And uh, they counted how many squirrels uh, used the bridge in a year. How many do you think used it? I think it? it was like four or something. Yeah, three. Three, yeah. So uh, 1 million uh, euros uh, per squirrel. Per squirrel, yeah. yeah. So uh, I think it's fair for them to uh, be a bit uh, cautious it's... with uh, spending money for I think what and confuses for me it. is why a squirrel bridge cost 3 million euros in the first place. Uh, like, I feel like that's a thing that, like, two students could do with like some plywood and a drill and like a crate of beer <laughs> and a crate of beer yeah i think the bridge was uh, made of gold of course yeah that's that's the only way yeah. was it built by the uh the trump real estate group <laughs> yeah the trump squirrel bridge yeah <laughs> <laughs> We'll be discussing the newly adopted Pledge of Participation for Immigrants after this word from our sponsors. Here in Holland is a new podcast for internationals living in the Netherlands. It is a twice-weekly podcast which focuses on the stories of internationals and expats. The podcast covers topics from manners to chance encounters, and they interview the Dutch and non-Dutch alike to get their insights, advice and stories, ranging from the funny to the sad. Here in Holland is currently creating an entirely crowdsourced podcast and welcomes your submissions. You can send your stories via WhatsApp. Find more information on their website, www.hereinholland.com. The podcast is available in iTunes and other podcasting apps. The Senate voted on Tuesday in favor of a law that obligates uh, immigrants to sign a declaration of participation. In the declaration that is part of the naturalization process, or inburgering, the newcomer promises to uphold key Dutch values such as freedom of speech, freedom of sexual orientation and solidarity. Signing is required in order to get permanent residency and people who refuse to sign the declaration will be fined 340 euros. So Molly, did you pay the government already your fine? I did not. I, um, I already got my permanent 
permanent residency, so I got in under the uh, the rules change. We, we so I did not have to sign a creepy loyalty pledge to okay. the Dutch government. So uh, let's discuss this uh, loyalty first. Uh, we have it right here. It's a one-page document. Yes. And, uh, well, it uh, just asks the uh, person to, to sign that they uh, uphold freedom and freedom of expression, freedom of uh, faith, and also freedom of sexual orientation. And it also states that discrimination isn't allowed based on uh, faith, sexual orientations, or... Country of origin, that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it also uh, asked the signer to well, actively participate in the Dutch society. Yeah, by working or volunteering or going to school. Uh, we have a translation of it up on the Dutch News website if oh. you want to read it in English. So oh, we'll good. link to that in the, uh, in the liner notes. So Molly, what's your problem with this uh, declaration? I think that if it was creepy t- for Trump to ask the FBI director to sign a loyalty pledge, <laughs> it's just as creepy for the Dutch government to ask immigrants to sign a loyalty pledge. I, I didn't think it was creepy for... For Frank Underwood to demand absolute loyalty in the House of Cards. Yeah, I'm sure you did not think that. That's because mm. I think that on the the sort of scale of uh, of democratic to fascism, that you are <laughs> you are more pro fascism than I am. Thank you for the compliment, uh, Molly. <laughs> exactly. My problems with the pledge are multifaceted. One, I think that there is literally no value to it. That there is zero evidence that signing any sort of pledge of loyalty, basically under any circumstances, is uh, a thing that actually makes people loyal. To be honest, I think that if, you, uh, if you're if you considering making people, say, employees or a boyfriend or your FBI director <laughs> sign a loyalty <laughs> pledge, then what you're offering them is probably so crappy that, that you understand implicitly that they will not be loyal to you. So maybe you should improve your own uh, offerings. Okay, so it doesn't help anything and it doesn't help people to be loyal, but does it make people disloyal? Uh, I think so. I mean, yeah? I, yeah, well, I think it certainly has made people in my circles kind of angry and annoyed and you do sort of get the feeling that maybe the government kind of doesn't want you to be here which I think has been sort of an ongoing discussion especially over the last few years with things like you know it used to be that the Chimentas would sponsor the in- integration courses and now you have to pay for these yourselves and they're they're quite expensive and that you know there's just sort of a general feeling that's kind of been I think percolating here between Hart Wilders but also you know the Vevi Day and then and Mark Rutte's Dunamal letter and all of these sorts of things it just just has this undercurrent of sort of not being particularly welcoming to foreigners. And I think that this is just a sort of one more thing that kind of adds to that that sort of feeling. Yeah, it has a limited added value because, well, n- much of these values that are, that, that, are, that are listed are not so Dutch, actually, because many of them are already secured in either the Constitution or international treaties or the Universal Declaration of Rights of Man. So there is basically no added value. But, well, what's the harm in, in signing and emphasizing that these uh, rights and values are part of Dutch society? Well, I mean, I think one is, is that the stuff that's in there is already sort of included in the in the cultural portion of the Imbrahering Exama, right? That you already kind of hit the key points about, you know, sexual orientation being accepted here and that kind of stuff. I also think that, like, if you're a person who thinks that gay people should not be allowed to get married, then signing a piece of paperwork so you can avoid a fine is not going to make you any less sort of homophobic. Because the question is, uh, are people going to sign this only f- to avoid the fine? or yes. are they? I mean, absolutely. People are going to sign this to avoid the fine, right? That you yes. you have to fill out this whole stack of paperwork and you're just going to sign all of the parts that are sort yeah, of Yeah, it's needed. basically like uh, accepting the terms of agreements of, uh, I don't know, an app or something, right? right? Yeah. You, you, you accept that um, without reading it. Yeah. And when was the last 
time you sort of read the uh, the terms of. I tried to read it once, but uh, it's a lot of text, so uh, I immediately fell asleep when uh, on page two. Right. I think. Exactly, page two of seven hundred and fifty-six. Yes, but this I'm is sure. only uh, this, this is, is only, only one page. page. That's true. And there's some other problems. One that the pledge is in Dutch, which the level of Dutch I think that's in the pledge. Yeah, is but, higher. but but if you if you want to become a Dutch citizen, you have to you have to speak or or understand at least a bit of Dutch. Yeah, so sure, which I have no problem with. It couldn't be an argument that it's only in Dutch, so you you shouldn't be signing no, it. No, 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 no. My my problem is not with it being in Dutch. So I've passed the Embarhering exama. I've passed the language portion and of it. And no one understands it. Exactly. <laughs> there are a lot of words in here. Gelikvaard de lechaid that the I quality. have... Yeah, which I've never seen before because the level of Dutch that you have to pass on the Embarhering exam is a fairly low level of sort of basic conversation Dutch and not maybe some of these more, yeah, zelfbeschrikt sings wrecked. This is a whole podcast. It's just going to be me mispronouncing Dutch words. <laughs> Instead of me mispronouncing English words. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> At least I didn't have to say Cenk Vilnik at once today on the podcast. <laughs> you just did voluntarily. It's because you're supposed to volunteer here. It's part of your participation contract. <laughs> My point is, is that I think, you know, it's a, it's a thing that people don't understand kind of what you're signing. And uh, if we just provide a, a translation on the Dutch news website to uh, all immigrants. Yeah, but, uh, the, but this sort of goes back to because the translation on the Dutch news website is obviously into English and Western immigrants and those from Turkey are not required to sign this pledge, right? So, I mean, yeah, which you're is not, a bit weird. Right. Yeah. So you're not really looking at people who probably speak English as their native language or, or speak English fluently. But I think that the fact that they're sort of exempt goes to show sort of the these two groups right that these sort of like quote-unquote western immigrants who are all generally quite wealthy and stuff that the government knows that they're going to kick up a fuss about having to sign this sort of pledge and so they're not trying to force them to do it or they come from a, uh, a western culture where these sort of values are already in place i mean i come from a culture where they don't think that gay people should be allowed to get married the majority <clears throat> of of elected officials in that country don't think that gay people should be allowed to get married so I don't know why I'm exempted from this uh, this sort of thing. So, I mean, I think that the perception that somehow just being from a quote-unquote Western country is makes it so that you understand how to participate in society is, is both weirdly racist because other people know how to participate in society. Like, there's no place on earth where the expectation is not that, like, you're going to school or you're going to work to provide for your family, right? Like, there's no governmental entity, there's no nation that sort of bases its whole economy on the fact that people don't work or go to school, right? <laughs> Why do you need to acknowledge that you either need to be working or going to school or somehow, like, contributing to society by, like, raising children or like, that kinds of stuff? I think the idea is that you can contribute to the entire society and not so much get isolated uh, in, in, in some sort of group. I mean, I think that there is no added Right, there is no added value to this in the sense that, like, there is no evidence that shows that loyalty pledges. I mean, it's not just the Netherlands that has this, right? That there's lots of countries that sort of require you to pledge some sort of allegiance or sign some sort of form like this. That those, the immigrants who sign these things, are more participatory in society and are more, are better citizens, are better sort of model immigrants, that they somehow do better. There's sort of no evidence to this. And I think it just perpetuates the stereotype that the Dutch government kind of really doesn't want, Dutch society doesn't want immigrants here, particularly immigrants from non-Western countries. And so I just don't understand what the what the point is. Like, yes, people are going to sign it. People are basically going to sign it because you have to 
sign a whole bunch of paperwork when you apply for the Inverhering. It doesn't make any amount of difference. Look, immigration, Dutch government, like if you want some advice on how to like improve this process, I could I could give you 57 points about how you could sort of make the whole thing better, you know, starting with things like, yeah, why don't you go back to uh, to offering the integration courses at the Gemeente level um, for free for immigrants, because that's one way to sort of encourage yeah, increase people. Increase the yeah. level of uh, integration. And yeah, there is also a bit of a paradox because, you know, if you are an immigrant and you come from an Islamic country or Africa and uh, you read this uh, pledge of uh, participation and, um, and you remember that a few months ago you found a pig head in front of your asyl suger center right right, right? Yeah. so <clears throat> there is a bit of a paradox there so i think it would be better for everyone in this country to sign this pledge of participation right and uh, to to sign that they agree with these dutch values and that you shouldn't just uh, what do you do- think would happen if the government said everyone has to sign this say mm. like on your 18th birthday or something like that? i think there will be a lot of op yeah because you know a lot of people just think that because they are dutch that they already think that you know they agree with this even right. though very often it's not really the case yeah well one of the things that it says in here is, is you know the dutch respect like differences of opinion and whatnot and like you're entitled to your own beliefs and I, so i sort of made this ongoing joke in our in our whatsapp group yesterday and like that's totally fine unless you think that's worthopede is racist and then dutch people don't think that you should be allowed well, to have that opinion not all of them yeah indeed. no well. that's true but but sort of don't go to your company dutch christmas party and declare that the the guy in blackface is racist i mean that's a real good way to find out like who actually thinks that people should be allowed to have differences of opinion but i mean i, th- I think that that's that's kind of the point which is, is that like people in glass houses shouldn't throw stones right that like it seems like you're asking more of people immigrating to this country than people who are just born here and why people feel like they're more entitled to not have to work or participate in society or be so you think it's a bit hypocritical for the dutch government to ask this from immigrants even though they don't really demand that from their own citizens yeah i i think i think some of it is, is sort of the hypocrisy of somehow expecting that you have to be better than other people who are just born here who are just entitled to things i mean you already have to be better so for for example, you know, I've now lived here for five and a half years and it wasn't until about six weeks ago when I got my permanent residency that I was entitled to things like unemployment benefits or long-term health insurance and these sorts of things, right? So I spent five years without the, that sort of social safety net. So I'm already being asked to do more. I mean, it was already being asked to, I mean, how many hours did you have to spend endlessly listening to me trying to improve my Dutch pronunciation, which was miserable for everyone. A, a lot of painful. Right horrible hours right to yeah. sort of pass this exam so I'm, you're sort of already being asked to do more but uh, is that a bad thing I don't have any problem necessarily with having to learn the language in order to live here I mean I think that that's perfectly acceptable my problem with the embarking process is, is that you know you're sport you're supposed to have to pass these exams within three years which I think is a bit yeah and you are entirely on your own yeah and yeah. you're entirely on your own and that if you want people to learn the language that providing opportunities for people to do that is a is a is a good thing and a thing that you should do i also think that if you are um if you what you want is for people to integrate well and not be isolated that you actually accomplish that more by sort of offering these courses because you're putting all these you know granted they're not dutch people but all of these different people together in one room and they're very likely to sort of become friends and like want to interact yeah. with each other yeah i think the best uh, pledge of uh, participation is uh, language uh 
courses yeah. Yeah. on day one when, yeah. when people arrive here just give them language, language courses, courses because without yeah. without the Dutch language you're, you're nowhere as an immigrant in, in an asylzoeker center you're not allowed to have language courses so you are entirely dependent on volunteers right so yeah I think that's the that's the best uh, way for people to, to become integrated, integrated in the Netherlands yeah. to have language uh, yeah, good decent language courses yeah and I, I don't I don't think I know anyone that sort of complains I mean about having to learn the language as part of this I mean I know people who have sort of struggled with passing the exams but I, I don't think I've ever encountered anyone who says yeah I shouldn't have to learn the language in order to be able to live here I think that the problems sort of come in with the like, cultural portion of the exam which is kind of weird and, and basically useless um, that you don't really like learn a lot of stuff on there that's useful and these sort of like loyalty pledge things where it just you know this isn't improving my ability to sort of integrate into this society but these cultural questions of which you think these are useless do you think they, they are useless because you already know the answer or no I what? think that they are the cultural portion of the exam is sort of written by Dutch people who are trying to emphasize the things that they think should be important and not the things that are actually different between the system I may have even told the story on the podcast before but around Christmas time was sort of standing in my kitchen cooking dinner with my boyfriend who is Dutch and you know the doorbell rings and there's some guy that comes to the door and hands me a flyer and is like standing there and I say thank you and sort of close the door and my boyfriend kind of like leans out of the doorway and it's like you gave him a tip right and I was like no like who is this person and why are they at my door trying to give me a flyer and he was like yeah it's the guy that delivers the newspaper and the reason they're doing this is to like try to get a tip and I was like I didn't know this like this is not a thing that we have had that I've had in the US or that I've had in any other country right that sort of like kind of practical information I think would be really useful but you're not going to get that in a in an exam that's designed by Dutch people because it doesn't occur to them that that's like a weird thing to uh. do but there certainly could be I mean and, you know and I've seen this I mean there's there's some voluntary organizations and stuff that do these sorts of things where they try to help people kind of integrate that you can can see things like explaining to people how to use like a pin pass because you know this is not even a thing to compare to like countries who are wealthy like even in the US you're much more inclined to like use a credit card where you have to sign instead of putting in a pin code it's like a slightly odd thing to have to do yeah, here in these sorts of things. Yeah it's a very practical uh, practical thing. Right yeah. and so I mean I think that you could I, I don't think I would have any problem with sort of having a, a Dutch 101 kind of course as part of the sort of integration process but I think it should be designed much better than what you have now which is basically like these sort of weird social questions about where to dispose of your fryer oil and like how to appropriately welcome your neighbor's baby and like this kinds of stuff which you just you can't make an exam about culture that is a multiple choice exam yeah. one of my favorite things to do is bring up these weird questions like so you come home from work and you see that your neighbor has had a baby and what do you do and like your options are sort of like do you send a card do you call and make an appointment do you go over with food do you do nothing whatever but there's no correct answer here because it has everything to do with what your relationship is with your neighbor which is what every single Dutch person will tell you if you've never met this person before it would be very weird to show up with food to show up with food or but even like, to call or to, even to uh, call to make yeah. an appointment right yeah. and first of all who calls to make an appointment like you would whatsapp to make an appointment these days but whatever <laughs> or you send a letter to yeah. chink really exactly yeah. you know if your neighbor is someone that you've you know lived on the same block with for 25 years and you know really really well then you're you're probably just gonna like walk over and use your own key to let yourself in the house your relationship these things so this is why it's like sort of impossible to make an exam that's about culture but i do think that there's a lot of opportunities to kind of help people integrate and sort of learn the kind of differences in how the systems work here and that the dutch government just seems to not be doing any of those sorts of things i don't think that people have a problem per se with having to learn the language and maybe learn some things about how to how to 
kind of integrate here. I think what people have a problem with is this weird sort of presumption that you somehow don't know that if you're going to live here, you have to work or be in school, which is absurd. Well, I think that's uh, what yes. we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about and uh, also uh, some of the graphs we talked about uh, in the liner notes. We will also uh, include our listener loyalty pledge where oh. you declare loyalty to us. <laughs> to our uh, podcast. To our yeah. podcast. We demand absolute loyalty. We demand absolute loyalty. You are not allowed to listen to any other podcast. <laughs> no, no. Well, uh, you can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. My thanks to uh, Molly Well, and not to Gordon Derrick, our... Uh, Disloyal co-host. Co-host, yeah. I'm Paul Peters, and uh, we'll be back next week. Mm-hmm.